0: This week on a very special episode of Commune College, meet three animals addicted to recording informational podcasts. First, we'll introduce you to Proxy, a cat who can't stop educating about anime and vintage technology. I just can't
1: stop researching the Engage.
0: Then, we'll take you over to a bird afflicted by audio editing. Keeble.
2: It's just the only time I feel comfortable using my beak is to correct waveforms. If there isn't peaking, I'm not beaking. I, 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 I can't go on like this. And
0: finally, a dog who knows a lot of information about proprietary fruits and uh, farming practices, Hyperlink. I just don't understand. I I, I keep waking up in a cold sweat thinking about proprietary seed habits. All this and more on this week's episode of Commune College, only
2: on A&E. Hey, get a load of this guy announcing their own segment.
1: Damn, yeah. Like, come on, Brian Cranston. Come on now. It was
2: character comedy.
1: It was character comedy. It was good character comedy. <laughs>
2: Hey, you just pointed out that we're all afflicted with uh, some sort of addiction here. So I, I don't know how to feel about uh, my newfound knowledge of that.
1: So listen, listen, y'all. This is a very special episode because I wish you didn't hit the nail on the fucking head with this one, <laughs> Hyperlink.
0: <laughs> I saw you talking about Alec technology connections in the group chat. I was like, let me let me talk about some vintage technology here.
1: Uh Because today is going to be a vintage technology episode. Hell yeah. So, so, hey friends, hey friends, how do y'all feel about home video?
0: Uh-oh, 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 this is gonna be good. Um, very, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear where this is going. Please tell me this is a Betamax episode.
1: Nope. Oh. Guess again. Somebody, like, Keeble, take a guess.
2: Let's see, I, I, as, um... As, as a person who's likely on the autism spectrum of a certain age, I feel like the new being into trains is being into obscure formats of like media storage. <laughs> it like scratches the same itch. We all have it. It's like a kind of universal thing, kind of like being into cars or trains.
1: Me and Mike is Mondo are going home. I, I feel <laughs> like
2: I feel like what I got to do here next in this kind of family feud style game where we try and think of proprietary home video formats i gotta think of one that i always wanted to see in person but never in fact have because i was never never knew anybody with one growing up and that's laserdisc i never knew anybody with laserdisc you got
1: it we're talking about laserdisc today let's
2: go let's go we are
1: talking about laserdisc today i do want to
2: apologize in advance to alec technology connections for our flights of fancy regarding being in a relationship with you or (laughs) you know alec
1: technology connections uh please 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 read me an audiobook of i don't know fucking anything and i will fall
2: asleep to it because your voice is soothing I know, wild the one that you have the parasocial connectionship with uh, also has parasocial <laughs> connectionship with different connectionship. That's a word. It's a word now. God damn it! But laserdisc, go on
1: laserdisc. Yes, there's uh, there's no joke here. I, I well actually no, the joke here is I what is a parasocial relationship? Uh, but the real topic, the real meat on the bones, we are talking about laserdisc, the strange video format that is larger than life and also large. Like, these things are heavy. Like, don't don't make me, like, actually go grab a fucking laser disc. I don't have any on me right now. I do have a laser disc in storage, though.
0: I keep one on my person at all times hanging from the side of my cargo shorts.
1: They're a half pound. Are you sure that it's not just pulling down your pants like a weird porn?
2: <laughs> what you gotta do is wear a belt so tight that it keeps you in reminder of Jesus Christ, you know? you You want... <laughs> You want the tightness of the belt to help remind you of sin, and then that laser means, disc belt buckle. That means that you can have like an you, you know like a like a uh, what, what's his name Flava Flave style like <laughs> gigantic laser disc hanging from your from your lower from your knee, basically. It would almost touch the ground. I um do I do the ball uh, the stick with the hoop game with it. Exactly, you got it, you got it. So. The
1: Laserdisc. The Laserdisc. Do y'all, Keeble, you even just said it in your guess, you don't really have experience with the Laserdisc. Hyperlink, do you have any experience with the Laserdisc?
0: Not, um, personally, but I, I mean, we have already talked about the YouTube channel technology connections a couple of times on the show so far, and, and, uh, you know, Alec does have a long, uh, robust series on uh, the Laserdisc that I in various states of paying attention or not paying attention to uh, I have seen all of
1: yeah so this episode is actually going to cite all of those episodes uh, pretty heavily because I was doing a lot of research on Laserdisc like I start like there's a reason I've had some lighter episodes in the past few times it's because Laserdisc has eaten my life
2: so you've been afflicted by laser rot
1: I have been afflicted by laser rot, and I no longer play on proprietary hardware.
2: That's that's where the glitch has come from. It's all laser rot. You're just like... Ah, 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 ah.
1: <laughs> I I clip through the wall, and then I stop playback immediately, and then throw me in the garbage. So, oh god. I
2: developed a new language entirely dependent on stereo effects. Exactly.
1: But it's hard to talk about Laserdisc without getting into... A lot of technical nitty-gritty that I actually don't feel comfortable explaining in an audio format because this is, in fact, a very visual thing, a very visual medium. So I'm going to go very broadly through the history of Laserdiscs, what they are, and what they were trying to be, the many iterations of it, alongside why it never actually took off here. And why, even in the country it was most popular in, it really, really didn't take off. And how it influenced technology going forward.
2: I remember, the thing is, I don't, I remember Laser discs being a thing. Like, I remember them before DVDs were common. I remember that being a thing that, like, you had heard of. But I don't even remember seeing them for sale ever. Yeah, uh, so there is a reason
1: for that. And... Personally, I do have experience with Laserdiscs. Like I said, I have one, parentheses, one actual Laserdisc in my collection. Which one? It is a copy of the anime Spriggan, which I have never seen. And I found it at a garage sale for $2. (laughs) But that's because I don't have a Laserdisc player. I just thought the art looked cool. And that's part of the appeal of Laserdisc is that... Much like records, they have very nice looking album or cover art that you can frame it by itself as an art piece. And that's pretty much the only reason why people tend to collect it today unless they're really, really into old school proprietary video, which there are way more people into that than I care to fucking imagine. And I don't know goddamn shit about video beyond digital video. So I'm like, oh God, oh fuck, oh God, oh fuck. Anyway, let's get into it, shall we?
2: The next uh, part of Commune College will be recorded on reel to reel. (laughs) Okay, I've recorded on reel to reel. That's that shit's cool. When we talk cutting and pasting, we mean literally cutting (laughs) and literally (laughs) pasting. Yeah, yeah, electroacoustic music. You literally, you know, cut
1: the tape and then you flip it upside down. You then slash a little bit of jagged edges into it. It's great, but according to Wikipedia. The LaserDisc, LD, is a home video format and the first commercial optical disc storage medium. And it was initially licensed, sold, and marketed as the MCA DiscoVision, also known simply as DiscoVision in the United States in 1978. It's completely analog. And it, like video-wise, it is completely analog. It stores all of its information in pits and grooves on the actual disc. And the disc itself is two large pieces of reflective aluminum and there is a layer, well there is a layer of plastic on them for protection. So, very simple technology, very much like, yeah, this is what we imagine a disc to be like. It is aluminum, it is plastic. There is a laser involved, an optical laser. We take for granted how innovative this technology is. Because before the LaserDisc, before any of this shit, this was science fiction. It wasn't even until 1958 that we were starting to see people operating with lasers and patents for lasers in a way to store video data on a disc. Using laser technology as a reader, similar to how a needle on a vinyl can help produce music. So, these laser discs, I'm going to get into the history of that later, but they're roughly around a half a pound a piece. They come in cases that resemble uh, LP covers for records. They became collector's items due to the... A, cool ass art, B, extras upon extras upon extras, like these things came with liner notes, as well as multiple discs worth of exclusive interviews with creators that are similarly not on any other form of media. So there is shit on Laserdisc, if you care about the meta production of film, that is only available on Laserdisc. And that shit is cool as hell to me. Even if I think that accessing it, annoying as fuck. And essentially, this was different from VHS in that it had a very crisp, very, very crisp and sharp picture quality compared to VHS. Displayed natively at a higher resolution. It natively performed anamorphic, uh, like it was doing anamorphic widescreen. So that way it would actually letterbox automatically on a 4x3 TV. This has nothing to do with the anamorphs. I know, right? Oh. Like, look, anamorphs. if you watched a, f- Like, if anamorphs were a movie, it would be presented in anamorphic widescreen because it TFs from a 4x3 resolution into a 16x9 resolution. Now that you put it that way. Exactly. Anamorphic widescreen's just a fancy way of saying, it's letterboxed. It's got those black bars. Some of the unique features of Laserdisc also include the fact that I said it's an analog video medium. It's also capable of transmitting digital sound. It was the first piece of, like, majorly produced home video technology to produce Dolby surround sound. And it is still capable of processing digital sound. It's just that most modern receivers don't have the exact technology to do so these days, so you need an external receiver. But the sound systems back in the day didn't really need that, so it was easier to set up on a CRT and still get a really engaging, engrossing, high definition experience with a crisp, clear picture and excellent sound quality. Like the audio itself was much higher quality than even uh, com- commonly utilized DVD audio quality. Like. DTS encoded laser discs have uh, soundtracks of, let's see, 1,235 kilobits a second instead of the reduced bit rate of 768 kilobits per second commonly employed on DVDs. Which, fuck yes. And finally, the reason I keep saying that it's analog instead of digital. Have y'all ever done like frame by frame looks at things, like say, just watched a movie and then like stopped on a particular scene and then went frame by frame to see every little second of the action.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, when I do video editing, sometimes you're trying to find the exact right moment to make a cut, and you do do that.
1: Yeah, so you know how that's literally impossible on video on a VHS? And on DVD, it is laggy and absolutely irritating to do. Not the world's best in the world. Yes. So on Laserdisc, not only is this... Normalized, it's instantaneous. Shit. Like, there is a step feature on this that literally most players have a frame counter on them. And you can actually go frame by frame instantaneously because that's just the laser physically moving around the disc instead of just reading the fact that there is data on the disc. So it instantly pulls up all that information And even then, more impressively, considering this is 1978 we're talking about here, Laserdiscs, they have have chapter selection. They have scene selection. You can go to any part of the movie you fucking want.
2: That's pretty useful.
1: Yeah. Like, DVDs didn't standardize this feature until the late 90s, early 2000s. And look at Laserdisc doing this in 19-fucking-78. Jesus Christ.
2: That's when Elton John wrote Man.
1: Yeah, imagine hearing Rocketman through the speakers of your CRT, except played on a Laserdisc. <laughs> I, there's a reason I also keep bringing up records. That entire comparison is intentional. We'll get there. For now, let's get into the history just a little bit. So it's, like I said, tied to the history of optical disc storage in general, the founding of what became Laserdisc. The idea originally came from engineer David Paul Gregg in 1958. there's a little bit of discrepancy depending on dates of patents and whatnot, but I'm going by basic information that has been circulated for eras and I'm not going to go into nitpicky detail. If you want that, go to the Technology Connections video. It's fucking excellent. But Essentially, while working at uh, Westrex, which is a part of Western Electric in California, um, Greg was inspired to investigate and create something that was utilizing lasers to read data that is stored on an actual metal disk as a form of more efficient and higher capacity storage than what technology was capable of at the time and he eventually created the patent for this for a system called video Disc in March 1962, while working to advance electron beam recording and reproducing. So essentially, yeah, he was like, yeah, here's a way we can record video and send it to a disc and have it be an hour's worth of very high quality video. It's interesting, to say the very least. I'm not going into the entire specifics of all the science behind it, because, let's face it, if you came here for my exact science definitions, I, I hate to break it to you, but I'm, I'm cat. I don't know what a fucking, I don't know what a
2: fucking physics is. Whatever it is, it's got a furball on it now. <laughs> I'm gonna knock it off the table.
1: Yeah, I almost knocked my water off the table.
2: It's because we've been talking about lasers so much. And as a cat, that's just tempting.
1: Yeah, I, where the fuck is the laser? It's in the player. No wonder why I'm in the laser disc. No wonder <laughs> I'm able to hyper focus on laser discs.
0: can't believe I didn't think of that joke.
1: But in any case, Greg ended up working at 3M's MinCom division, and he worked with experienced television and videotape engineers Wayne Johnson and Dean DeMoss to file patents to cover a disc recording system and uh, work to help reproduce television signals from photogenic discs. Which, you know, that sounds a lot like what we currently do for DVD and Blu-ray and CDs and all that junk. I do that all the time. Yeah, don't you ever just... Take a whole bunch of TV signals and reproduce them from a uh, photographic disc. As somebody who's unemployed, I most I do that most of the day. <laughs> so they weren't getting the support they really wanted at 3M. So they went on to form a uh, Gauss Electrophysics. I wanted it to be 4M. Yeah, basically 4M. You could be 4M, but you c- but you didn't. You, there's only three of you. Therefore, where's the fourth thing coming from? We don't know. M. Damn. With two M's. But in any case, Gauss Electrophysics uh, patents here were all purchased by MCA, the Music Corporation of America, which helped to develop that technology further. So MCA, for those who don't know, uh, they're a big fucking deal. They're basically the uh, UMG of the uh, 60s and 70s. And if you're dealing with music technology as well as music distribution in the United States during that time, you are going to stumble across MCA at some point in your research. And by stumble, I mean walk into a brick wall because holy shit, they're everywhere. Um, But they're not the main source of this, and I am going to do an entire episode on MCA at some point. But MCA also teamed up with Philips, who are known for their work in home electronics, particularly in televisions. And they cooperated uh, after Philips developed a video disc in reflective mode uh, in 1969. Again, Philips is another thing I could hyper-focus on for a Dead Technology episode. But they combined their efforts and first publicly demonstrated the results of that in 1972. They demonstrated the video disc in Atlanta, Georgia, which was then dubbed the Disco Vision.
2: Ooh, and not, it, they later went on to rename it what we all know it and love it as, the Philips CDI. Exactly, exactly, everyone's
1: favorite form of multimedia edutainment
2: everybody's favorite way of enjoying our nintendo favorite characters that we all know and love yes like horrifying zeldor
0: if if, uh folks are actually interested in hearing more specifically about the cdi there's a great episode of matt mcmussell's what happened about it that i watched like two days ago
1: oh that episode is real good yep so it saves me from doing an episode on the cdi as well (laughs) (laughs) thanks matt Saving you all from
2: me doing yet another episode on video games. This is where we acknowledge the existence of the Philips CDI, though. We, we give it its place on a Commune College episode. Somebody
0: update the wiki. We've officially acknowledged the CDI on this show.
1: And then we toss it out the window and... Hey, who wants to go play Odama? <laughs> okay, back to the disco vision. Disco vision. <laughs> <laughs> so, the time in which the... Disco Vision hit the market is a very interesting one. (laughs) I'm gonna put so much fucking reverb on that, but it was first put onto the market in December
2: 1978. This little format went to market. This little format. Oh Oh my god.
1: I am going to pour my water on my microphone (laughs) and cause it to burst because this has phantom power going into it.
2: Phantom power? That sounds scary.
1: I know, it's spooky. spooky. Where's it coming from? A little from?
2: scary, a little. a little. A little spooky, a little scary. A little, little ooky. A little ooky, spooky, dookie. Is the, does the, um, the, the laser disc get ooky or, or spooky? The laser disc can have the potential to be that. I mean, it's a laser.
1: But in any case, the Disco Vision here. We're back Dis- on oh, Disco shit. Vision. <laughs> so... December
2: 1978. You want to know what debuted two years earlier? The VHS VCR. So why, so, okay. So why is the VHS, why why is that uh, so much different than than what we've got, which has chapters and, you know, and lasers?
1: So the VCR, or VHS tapes as we tend to know it, they operate off of a very specific kind of vinyl tape. That video signals are recorded to. Video and sound are recorded to it, and it's all analog playback. The thing is, this is going to be tying into a very important reason why uh, Laserdisc failed, which I'll get into later.
2: We'll get into it later, disc.
1: Yeah, yeah, later, disc. Now on VHS. <laughs> But, in any case, this was also four years before the development of the compact disc. And why know why that's important? Because the same exact laser using the laser disc is then utilized in the compact disc. The reason we have CDs is because of the disco vision.
2: Okay, so then you can sell like a nice combo thing and be like, it plays both music and movies. So yeah, you can you can do both. They
1: did that.
2: Of course they did.
1: They absolutely did that. So the thing about the Laserdisc though is that when it was first developed home video wasn't really a thing. If you think back to the early 60s like when these patents were first being made this was an entirely new concept. People would go to the movies they would see a movie generally once and that would be it. And the only people who were capable of home movie uh, like viewing were people who had prints and projectors and those were exclusive to the very wealthy. This was an entirely new market that had not been really uncovered yet and thus why it's a bit hard of a sell in the 60s and... The technology itself, because lasers themselves were a very experimental tech at the time and had a lot of restrictions behind it, it meant that development on the Laserdisc was slow. So, oops, they got beat to market by something that is, you know, a little bit more in line with American tastes. let's say. More on that later. So they didn't do so hot. They didn't do so hot. And Philips and MCA were losing money fast. But a Japanese company by the name of Pioneer Electronics really liked the cut of their jib. Really liked what this little technology was doing here. So uh, they purchased majority stake in the format. And they then decided, you know what, we like this so much, we're basically going to be the main name of this laser disc format as we now call it, or rather, as they actually called the format themselves, Laser Vision, and under the brand name, Laserdisc, which launched in 1980. Philips still did produce players, and MCA produced discs, and I'll get into the MCA produced discs later because uh, they're part of the reason for the failure, but you know, (laughs) <laughs> I have one little neat tidbit in terms of releases for the, uh, Laserdisc format. So, what movie was the first movie released on Laserdisc in
2: 1978? 1978.
1: Yes, does anybody have a guess?
2: Why do I feel like it's Casablanca?
1: Nope, unfortunately not. I'm
2: gonna guess Gone with the Wind. Nope.
1: Nope. Much more recent than either of those. It's Jaws. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah,
2: it was popular at the time.
1: It It was, like, Jaws was the first major summer blockbuster. And it did numbers. And honestly, there's still a lot of shots of that film that looked fucking great. Especially on Laserdisc. So, eventually, it became more known that Laserdisc was more of an enthusiast's market. Like, if you actually cared about the quality of the picture you are watching and not just the fact that you are watching a movie at home, then you would own a Laserdisc player. It's the same folks who adopted Blu ray early. It's very much the okay, this format, it looks nice and crisp, it sounds great, and sure the player seems a little bit expensive and the movies themselves seem a little bit expensive but you know what it's worth it for the best quality to which i say the vhs is truly uh, wonderful because it is also the uh it's also the format of the masses it's the format of accessibility but laserdiscs are not and yet i hyper focused on them instead of vhs
2: VHS is still pretty cool.
1: VHSs are fucking neat. So when I say that this was very poorly adopted, around like the mid-90s, around 2% of US households had a Laserdisc player. And in Europe, it was even more obscure, mostly being used for BBC news broadcasts because of the dire lack of support that Philips, MCA and Pioneer gave to the European market. Now, this will probably be the least surprising, Laserdisc really took off in Japan, but not as much as one might think. Uh, About 10% of Japanese households at Laserdisc's height in popularity, 10% of Japanese households had a Laserdisc player.
2: That's hardly a hit.
1: It's hardly a hit, but at the same time, that's all households in Japan. Still, 2% of... American households, that's a shit ton of people. And total, around 16.8 million players were sold worldwide, with 9.5 million of those being uh, pioneer-manufactured ones. They really fucking cornered the market. And their release schedule ended up really reflecting that, because there was a lot of Criterion film releases done through Laserdisc, Like the Criterion Film Collection really, really took off on Laserdisc because that's when we really started seeing the care and effort they put into film preservation and film distribution along with providing, you know, a lot of meta commentary in their extras. But also a lot of old school opera recordings that you'll find are on Laserdisc. This is how I first came about Laserdiscs, was I was trying to watch uh, La Traviata, and the only copy of La Traviata that was not currently taken out in my school library was on Laserdisc. So I had to lug myself down to the campus library, dust off their Laserdisc player that hadn't been used in like three years, and, you know... Deal with the fact that it constantly sounds like you have a car engine running in the in the bottom floor of this library to watch an opera.
0: Oh yeah, isn't that because like the RPMs needed to store video are so high that like the engine needs to be going incredibly fast?
1: Uh huh. So to read the disc, the disc has to spin at around uh, 1,800 RPM. That's fucked. Yeah. So it spins around. 30 times per second. It's pretty fucking wild. Like at the very least. And of course because it's physical media and all the grooves are on the disc, the further out you are, the slower the disc will have to rotate. And that goes into different formats of Laserdisc, which I'm not going to go into on this episode. I included the playlist in the show notes. There is so much to go into with regards to specific kinds of Laserdiscs and specific kinds of players. It really is an enthusiast's market, and if you care a lot about video signals and video quality and preservation of media, please, please, please do extra research. I just want to like talk about the cultural effect of Laserdisc. But we can't do that without knowing the history and a little bit of how it works. So, why? Why did this fail? This looks so much better than VHS. I'm about to link y'all just a YouTube video that is literally comparing the VHS, the original VHS of the original Star Wars to the Laserdisc release. And the Laserdisc, even by today's standards, looks fucking great. Automatic anamorphic widescreen, excellent use of color, Sound effects are crystal clear for what they are, because I think this might be an analog sound release. I'm not sure.
0: Wow. I mean, it looks pretty damn good. About as good as I would like expect from, I guess, a movie theater, I would say.
2: Yeah, that's I mean, for the 80s, that's great. I mean, like, that's that's really good. It's good enough that like you're reaching the limits of what a CRT will be able to give you like. Mm -hmm. I feel like CRTs like kind of limited these things in a little bit, like. Because a VHS doesn't look that shitty on a CRT compared to a Laserdisc, because, you know, nothing looks that great on a CRT. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Like, CRTs, uh, just by the nature of how, uh, their signal-to-noise works, uh, it's just, in general, they will smooth things over.
2: Also, my number one recommendation uh, upon going to this video is now here. Yep, that's the video.
1: Yeah, that's the video. Uh... The Technology Connections video, LaserDisc Failure, What Went Wrong? We're basically going to be covering a lot of stuff for what went wrong with the LaserDisc and why it flopped so hard. Um, So, yeah, the LaserDisc was described by uh, Alec Technology Connections in this video as technology that was both too early and too late. And what do we mean by that? Well, the fact that LaserDisc came about initially in patent form in the early 60s means that this was breaking new ground, creating a new entirely different form of engaging with media, creating a new medium with which to engage with, which is always a hard sell for people. Like, format in which we engage with media, even if the true medium stays the same, will always be a hard sell based off of the fact that people will not want to invest in technology when they could just go to the cinema or they could just watch TV. So it came too early in that regard. It hitting the market two years after VHS meant that VHS had two years to actually start being able to make headway and make new ground. And thus it was too late in that sense. However, VHS also cornered a different market that allowed it to proliferate. VHS cornered television because you could get a tape and record whatever program you were wanting to watch that you saw in the TV guide, but say you had to work late that day. This is an actual principle known as time shifting, being able to watch something after it comes out on your own schedule. That's a literal concept with a name. And VHS was the advent of that. Laserdisc had no home recording feature, so it was in general already behind the ball on that. And then it's just, okay, the movies are a little cheaper here than they are on VHS, but am I going to watch this movie more than once? Is what, you know, most people who are, eh, not extremely enthusiastic about what they collect and what they engage with, We'll say. Thus it really cornered the market more so on enthusiasts, especially after Pioneer took over. And that was good for a time until DVD came along. Let's let's just also embrace the fact that until DVD came along, Laserdisc was like the definitive high definition format. Like this thing lasted over 20 years being top dog.
2: What is this about top dogs?
1: I don't know. There are none in this chat.
2: Oh, God damn it!
1: <laughs> but in any case, so... <laughs> uh, I mentioned the thing about cost. And VHSs eventually became much cheaper. But at the advent of Laserdisc and VHS, VHS players were much more expensive. And movies for VHS were much more expensive. However, however... Again, the market idea comes back up because VHS was aiming for the television market, which means you could buy one four-hour tape, make a huge investment, and record all of your shows and then just use that same tape over and over again to record over each new program. What did Laserdisc have over that? I could watch JAWS for the seventh time, which I would, but most people wouldn't. So it became a bit more of a cost sink with all the films that were released on uh, Laserdisc. Another problem was Laserdiscs had the record problem of needing to switch sides because each side could only store about 50 minutes of audio and video. And say your movie is longer than 100 minutes, you gotta switch discs entirely. And even then, that might have multiple sides. So you have to physically get up off the couch, flip up, uh, flip over the disc, and wait for your uh, jet engine to start back up, because laser discs take a long fucking time. They are a commitment. And once that thing is spinning and making you lose your hearing, then you can enjoy your movie. Finally, the last thing, laser rot which we joked about earlier. Laser rot is different than normal disk rot. Uh, But what's meant by disk rot is that the disk itself will start to oxidize and become unplayable due to the oxidized portions of said disk. And usually it'll become oxidized due to repeated contact with an optical laser. And also just due to age, laser disks have a disadvantage over DVDs and CDs in that CDs tend to store the data digitally. DVDs, they store the data digitally. And if, say, the laser detects a scratch on the disc, it will still generally be able to run unless the scratch is significant enough to impair the uh, laser's ability to read that there is data on the disc. The fact that the data is just on the disc and not on the physical portion of the disc itself means that, okay, there can be damage on the disc, but it's okay because we can actually still play it. It just might skip a little bit. And that skipping was present on laser discs, but laser rot was much worse because all of the video data is inscribed physically onto the disc. Like when a disc has laser rot, you'll get two specific scenes and if it's minor, there'll just be a lot of like a uh, grainy artifacting on the screen, similar to kind of like a film projector. So you could mistake that for like, oh, this is what it's intended to be. But when it's really bad, it starts cutting up the scenes and eventually the disc will not be able to progress any further beyond the point at which that point of laser rot has occurred. So the disc will become literally unplayable after a certain point, even when you try to chapter search, because it has to physically go through the disc. And if it can't go past a certain point, then... Oops. Oh, well. Tough shit. You're out. You're out 35 bucks. So the last Laserdisc player was made relatively late. Like, I am not kidding when I say the last... Uh, LaserDisc player was made around 2009. These things still command a lot of love and respect in the enthusiast circle. Because if you care about video quality, then you'll care about the fact that like one specific kind of LaserDisc player, which was known as the uh, Muse High Vision, which was only available in Japan, was capable of native 1035i video output in 1994
2: do you even have displays that can
1: handle that like (laughs) like it it's it displayed on a crt but like it worked best on a projector right but also when i say that standard laserdisc player sounded like a jet engine uh this player became so unviable because it ran even faster and louder like Imagine a disc spinning at 95 miles an hour just like right in front of you while you're trying to watch this really high quality rip of like, I don't know, fucking Lawrence of Arabia or whatever film snobs are into these days. And it's just you can't hear the movie because god fucking damn it. This thing is so loud. Why is it so loud? And also, you know, it's dangerous and it was very prone to technological failure. For the more technological side of why Laserdisc failed, again, see the playlist. But why is it important? Why does it still matter in a cultural context? First of all, like I said before, this is the start of the optical drive push in our technological advancements. Like, without this, we wouldn't have CDs. Without this, we wouldn't have DVDs or Blu-rays or the PlayStation in its current iteration or any real like innovations that we've had in terms of drive technology. It's intriguing that this funky little format that mostly nerds enjoyed was the reason why we have compact discs, but the... Changes brought about by the innovations here also included that chapter skip feature that was directly implemented on DVD due to the fact that it was omnipresent on Laserdisc. And for the dorks in the audience, like fellow dorks, collector's editions of laserdiscs are the best things you'll ever fucking have if you really care about a film that ended up getting a Laserdisc release because it will have exclusive commentaries, exclusive interviews, A lot of behind the scenes shit and more concept art than you can shake a stick at, which is also why LaserDisc was great for anime, but that's another day. That's a topic for another day. Plus
2: it's a disc format with a hole in the center of the spindle. So if you do shake a stick at it, you can stick the stick through that hole and spin it around.
1: Exactly. I'm
2: very useful.
1: You are. I appreciate your input and your feedback and it will be noted in the future. It's on your file. Ooh, my file. We all have files. They're all, it's all the nice things I have to say about my friends. Oh, that's nice. But yeah, thanks for joining me on this, you know, little journey towards remembering the failed technologies of years past, how we can learn from it and how it's influenced us already. Does anybody have any questions?
0: Not questions as much as like an observation. Um, I always find stuff like this really interesting especially because like specifically for the story of laserdisc like it is such a superior format on paper to vhs but like between like the popularization of time shifting being like the trojan horse that brings home video into a lot of people's homes to like the fact that vhs ended up being less expensive over time to the technical limitations of rotating an enormous disc at incredibly high speeds it's like it's it's um insightful to see how those other factors end up mattering more than the apparent quality of the video. At first it seems like strange that uh, Laserdisc didn't become like the default format but like the more you learn about it the more you can see the reasons why the average person would yeah probably pick VHS if they're going to watch a movie. After all and and Alec makes this point in, in one of the Technology Connections videos on Laserdisc why would you buy a device that is more expensive than a VHS player that can't also record TV shows for you to watch later um and only plays like films that you buy at the store that themselves are more expensive than vhs as well um overall um it ends up not making sense for a lot of people um just really interesting
1: yeah it's it's fun having a little jet engine in your house just like seriously and you get to have like a little lp cover version of fargo sitting on your wall
2: (laughs)
0: Yeah, and you can go frame by frame, which makes all the difference. You can really hear the
2: accents. And because it's a format, there's always, of course, some things that became obscure after that format stopped being made, as happens with every Mm -hmm. format. There are some prominent examples of Laserdisc that are fun. Um, A notable one is the Beatles movie Let It Be. Oh, yeah. They had a contract to produce four movies while they were a band. In the last movie that they had to make, they were the le- that Yellow Submarine didn't count because they didn't voice the Beatles in it. <laughs> it's like they're like, yeah, it doesn't count as a Beatles movie. You're not in it. <laughs> so they made a movie about the making of Let It Be, but it was they were it was right at the end when they were fighting. So the laserdisc copy is the most recent copy released of it because the Beatles don't want it released because <laughs> it's just them fighting and being angry at each other.
1: Yeah, like that shit is cool to see and lost media is always something that really intrigues me. Like I kept harping on the meta-narrative of like why certain things have been released and why certain things have not. Uh I'm going back to anime for a second. Bear with me. Uh this one is one that people have heard of. Uh so there's this little film called Akira or Akira and it is one of two animated features to ever be put into the Criterion Collection, and the only way you could get the Criterion Collection version of Akira is laserdisc. It's not the latest release of release of Akira. Uh, Funimation put out a DVD Blu-ray combo pack of that like a few years back, and it looks beautiful. But for a long time, the easiest way you could see Akira was on a shitty VHS. Or a really expensive collector's edition laser disc done by people who, uh, call m- movies film.
2: Ha, huh, film.
1: Film. Film. Film.
2: Uh, film. Oh god, we keep repeating that word. Is this- is there some laser rod on this episode? Film. <sighs> film. 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 Film? Film. Film.
0: Film. Film- film it. Film, film. I'm Hyperfilm. Geet! I'm Film. Ebol- Film Film